This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Hello and welcome to the show. Golly, the year went by fast. Now we find ourselves in the middle of the holiday season. Lots of distractions. One thing you should not be distracted from doing, though, end-of-year financial planning. To help get you pointed in that direction and figure out your investment strategy, I spoke with Tiago Glieger, a wealth advisor with RMG Advisors of Rockville, Maryland, a firm that specializes in federal employees. This is Tiago Glieger from RMG Capital. As we come into the holiday season, people think about Christmas and tinsel and Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. But really, the main job is thinking about end-of-year finances and what your plan is for next year. What do you think are the top concerns for feds? There's so much that people can be doing between now and the end of the year. And one of the big ones that we see around this time of the year is getting ready for capital gain distributions. If you own a mutual fund investment inside an account that is non-retirement, so this is like an individual account or a joint account, then this is something you're going to want to be watching for because every year right around this time of the year, mutual fund companies are going to pass on those capital gain distributions to you as the investor. This happens because other investors throughout the year are selling their funds, they're redeeming shares, so the capital gains get realized throughout the year for that mutual fund. And here's the thing that people miss is even if you don't sell that mutual fund, you're still going to owe the taxes on that money. And so that happened big time last year where people were losing money because the markets were down and they still owe taxes. So that's a big thing that's going to come up to them next time they have to pay taxes in the coming year. That would not include funds in your TSP. Correct. That's the good thing about tax-deferred accounts like a retirement account is you don't have to worry about those distributions because the only time you're taxed then is if money comes out of the account. So unless you took money out of the TSP, no taxes to worry about. On the other hand, if you have a Roth, what happens? Yeah, and that's the good thing about the Roth too is the Roth, there's no taxes. So that's one of the big benefits is you get to touch that money, pull it out of the account without having to worry about taxes at all. It's, you know, the higher your tax bracket goes, the more that impacts a federal pension if you have that, social security taxes, capital gains, all kinds of things get impacted by that. And what about required minimum distributions, either of your own TSP if you are retired and you haven't done that in the year? I mean, is there a timing issue there? And what about an inherited IRA also? Some people, as they get along and still working, may have those in their bank too. That's right. Yeah. The RMDs is everybody's least favorite topic at the end of the year because they're thinking about this huge tax bill that's going to come down. And so minimum amount of money has to come out of your retirement account if it's pre-tax because it's money that's got to grow with no taxes yet. So you owe the taxes on the money and you have to think about where is this money going to come from? Are you going to use this as a time to rebalance your portfolio because you have to make some sales to generate the cash? Do you want to just use cash you already have on hand? Maybe your other investments are down and you don't want to sell them at a loss. You may also want to be considering taking more than your minimum amount. And this is the case if you're thinking down the line, you might be in a higher tax bracket than you are today, simply because your minimum distribution will be bigger or because tax rates might be going up here in a couple of years if the tax laws don't change. So maybe you take a bigger chunk out here at the end of the year this year while you're still in a lower bracket. That's something that's been really popular for feds. Many feds, when they do retire, are not ready to stop working. And if you're at a certain level coming out of the federal government, 
you've got lots of offers from industry and a lot of feds take them. You know, oh, when'd you go there? Okay. <laughs> and so you have this full-time income coming in, but you might actually be at the RMD age, which I guess is up to 71 and a half now. And so how do you figure out all of that when you're working and you're retired, so to speak, for purposes of your annuity and your TSP withdrawals? Yeah, the challenge in working in retirement is if you have the annuity already, that's fully taxable. If you are of RMD age, that money is fully taxable. So you keep stacking more and more money on top. So thinking about where your tax rates might be in the future, if we have the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act sunsetting here in 2026, which is how the current law is set, it's set to sunset unless they make changes, tax rates are going to bump. And so you might be thinking, okay, if that's going to happen and I plan to continue working through those years, I'm immediately going to pay 3%, 4% more taxes then than I am right now. So maybe I take bigger distributions out of my retirement accounts while I'm still in a lower bracket. And what about gifts that can offset taxes? This is the time of year when people think about that too. So maybe, you know, instead of that car, <laughs> you could get a lesser car and give charitable contributions to offset taxes. Yeah, that's a really big one, Tom, because if you are of a certain age, and the key age here is 70 and a half, you can do something called a qualified charitable distribution, or known as a QCD. Now, it works nicely with an RMD, which, by the way, used to be 70 and a half. As you said, it has gone up, went up to 72, then 73 to 75, depends on when you were born. But the key here is that it allows somebody that's 70 and a half or older to take a distribution from their retirement account, send it directly to the charity, and you don't owe taxes on that money because it went to a charitable organization. The charity doesn't owe money, but you also get to satisfy your RMD. And you think of the other way of making a charitable donation. If you're going to cut a check and just write it to a charity, you've paid taxes on that money already. And if you're itemizing, you probably had no tax benefit of just writing that check. So if you can do it out of a retirement account, do a QCD, that can be extremely beneficial because everybody gets to save on taxes and you get to do some good in the world and meet your RMD. And what about fixed income annuities? These are available from your alma mater in, in some way. So they get your money now and then they give you this percentage on that money, almost like a CD type of arrangement. And you can get them from financial institutions. Good idea. And is year end a good time to enter into one of those? I think the end of the year is always a good time to be thinking about your strategy for next year. One thing that we encourage feds as they think about these kinds of annuities is whether they want to trade the liquidity of their capital for another type of pension. Because an annuity is sort of like a pension. We have Social Security that they've paid into. We have their first pension that they've paid into. And some people really like that guaranteed stream of income, that guaranteed 3 or 4%, whatever the annuity is offering. But that requires them exchanging a chunk of their liquid assets for that annuity. But if that can help give you peace of mind, then that's something that should be contextualized within their retirement plan and can be very helpful. Right. And they come in different sizes. So you can kind of decide how much tolerance you have for setting that part of your TSP aside. That's where you would take it from. And there's probably tax implications there, too. Right. Annuities have their own kinds of taxations. If you are moving it from a tax preferred vehicle to another tax preferred vehicle, you do get to maintain that tax preference. But you do have to be careful because if you take the money out, it's considered a distribution and then you put it back in, right, there can be taxes on that transition. So, And also on the topic of IRAs, you can make children's contributions at this point for how? How does that work? Yeah, that's a really popular one, Tom, because if you have a child that took a summer job, maybe they were at the pool or whatever it is, as much as they earn, 
they can contribute that to an IRA account for themselves as well. Now, kids, most of the time, they're going to want to keep that money. They're going to use it for pizza or for school or something like that, hanging out with their friends. So parents and grandparents can make that contribution up to $6,500 as long as they earn that for 2023. And some of our clients will do these annual IRA contributions for their kids, for their grandkids, even into their 20s. And that's a really nice way to help the kids begin to think about saving and investing for themselves. We almost always suggest a Roth for them because they're in a low tax bracket. They're not earning a lot of money. If you do it right, by the time they're 30, they could be sitting on potentially six figures of tax-free money that can just put them so much further in life by having that there. Sure, yeah. And don't buy a car with it either. Right, exactly. Keep it for the next 30 years, and then you'll really be happy. (laughs) And what about Roth conversion? We should probably review the pros and cons of that at this point. Yeah. At the end of the year, you can decide whether or not you want to fill the rest of your tax bracket by taking some money out of pre-tax accounts, like the traditional TSP, traditional IRA, and converting it to a Roth. You pay the taxes by doing that, so you're filling your tax bracket. But again, it's that age-old question, what tax bracket are you projected to be in the future? If maybe this wasn't a year that you had tons of income, maybe it was a first year of retirement, you may consider filling up your bracket to whatever level until you hit that next percentage bracket. Take the taxes at a slightly lower rate if you think you're going to be paying more in the future because you're earning more, you have RMDs that will cause that, or the tax laws might change. And if you do any of these things we've been discussing, moving around funds, adding, subtracting, they all have tax implications. Does the online tax system that people are using have those rules and those requirements built into them such that you just fill in the numbers and your tax will be calculated accurately? Yes and no. You know, I think TurboTax and a lot of those systems have come a really long way and they do a really nice job for what they offer. But I think that if you input the information incorrectly, if you use the wrong form for whatever reason, you could cause some challenges. We always ask people to double check with an accountant. Of course, they are the tax professionals because sometimes it's not just about getting the number right. It's the planning of whether you should even do it in the first place. So if they have financial planners, if they have accountants, those are good people to bounce these ideas off before you do something and then you have to go back and undo it. And you could jump into Santa's lap at the mall. Do they still have malls with Santa's? I don't even know. And ask for a new tax code that's 10 pages long or five pages long. (laughs) That would really be a contribution to the advancement of humanity, but it's not going to happen. And finally, there's the question that comes up periodically, especially this time of year. Do you move your funds out of the TSP because you're annoyed at, you know, their cost ratios are rising, you know, for the TSP? I guess they're still pretty good relative to industry. And what's your thinking on just stay in the TSP or maybe try that fidelity type of thing? Yeah, I think if you're still working and you're contributing to the TSP, you belong in the TSP. You should be maximizing every last dollar that you can into those contributions. Once you retire, you can think about whether or not that vehicle is meeting your needs. How many times do you need to take distributions throughout the year? How frequently do you need those? The TSP has limitations in how the money comes out. And so you compare that with what are your other options. And when we talk to clients about meeting their needs, it's really determining what is your plan going to require for you to meet your objectives? And then what are the best tools available for you? Every one of these custodians and different options has pros and cons to them. You just have to find the one that works best for you. And maybe we should end this by saying, yes, the gift season is coming on, but it's basic. Don't run up your credit cards to give nice gifts. If you can't afford it with cash, then skip it. Agreed. 
Agreed. Yeah. Having to then take money out and pay taxes on it to pay off a credit card bill doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Tiago Glieger is a wealth advisor with RMG Advisors of Rockville, Maryland. We'll take a short break. And when we return, certified financial planner Art Stein on the year-end thinking for long-term investment and not outliving your money. You're listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. Welcome back to FedLife here on Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. Continuing with today's theme of short-term and long-term planning, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman spoke with certified financial planner Art Stein on smart thrift investment plan strategies for the coming year, starting with some big recent changes to the iFund. We know that there have been some pretty big changes to the iFund. Recently, the TSP board says it's going to improve the risk return profile. Just curious your thoughts on that. Do you think that's accurate or what impact will this have on participants who are invested in the iFund? Well, it's definitely an improvement. The old index or the actually the current index for the iFund, not a good index, hasn't been for many, many years. Uh, the TSP board has been trying to change it for some time and they were going to change it a couple of years ago but the new index invested in China and Hong Kong. And that was a political issue on the Hill. And many con- Congress members protested. And so the TSP just didn't do anything. Now they found an index or an index was created for them, which is also possible, that invests in the index that they wanted to use, but excludes any stocks, uh, any Chinese stocks or Hong Kong stocks, stocks of companies based in Hong Kong. Uh, So it's basically the same as they tried to do before. One of the reasons they needed to do this is uh, just the, um, because the iFund, the current index was uh, so poorly constructed, performance was not as good. And because international stocks just weren't doing as well as U.S. stocks, U.S. companies were doing better than foreign companies. You know, if you look at like the 15-year average annual rate of return, it was 6% per year for the I fund. It was 12.5% for the C fund. That's, you know, twice as much. So the current index only invests in developed countries and not all developed countries, and only invest in the stocks of large companies. And for some reason, they excluded Canada from the list of developed countries, which I found very strange. The new index uh, invests in twice as many countries, including a lot of developing countries, and it's invests in seven times as many stocks as the old index. If you look at the top 10 holdings, in the new index compared to the current index, uh, they're mostly the same. The three new ones are Taiwan Semiconductor, which is you know a great company that has monopoly on semiconductor manufacturing, Samsung Electronics, which most people have heard of, and Toyota, which is probably everybody has heard of. And 
the country weights are different. They have a lot less invested in Japan, United Kingdom, France, Switzerland, countries like that. So I'm glad they're doing this. It's going to take place next year, the changeover. Uh, TSP participants, I assume, will not have to do anything. I'm pretty sure that's going. they'll just change it. And um, I think people would be better off. Now, in terms of returns, they're, you know, really not hugely different. Uh, according to what the TSP put out their press release, the average annual rate of return over the last five years for the new index would have been 4.2% compared to 3.5% for the old index. So 4.2 is better than 3.5, but not a huge difference. Uh, the new index is actually, again, according to them, uh, slightly more volatile than the old index, but not a big difference. You know, not one that I would consider significant or that anybody needs to worry about. So basically, it's a step forward for the TSP. So Art, given that this, you know, is a pretty significant change, you know, I know that TSP participants who are currently enrolled in the iFund, this will just transition over once that change takes place sometime in 2024. But do you anticipate or do you recommend that TSP participants maybe consider changes to their current investments, maybe invest more in the iFund as a a result of this change? That's a very good question. I think people should have international stock exposure. We certainly do it for all our investment clients. But this is still a very narrowly focused fund, and it's an index fund. So it means that they have just bought these companies, probably because they're the largest in each market, without any great attempt to see if they're the best companies or they're going to do better than other companies. And we have found that for international stock indexes, international stock funds, actively managed funds are a a better bet than index funds because it's such a huge marketplace. It's better to have someone actually making decisions Just speaking as well, you alluded to the political pressure that existed. I know this is something that the TSP board has been at least considering this change since 2017. So it's been, you know, six or so years now that they've considered changing the iFund. But do you think that the exclusion of Chinese investments, you know, is going to have an effect on the overall volatility or the performance of the benchmark index? Does that, you know, change things for how it'll perform? You know, Drew, it's a very interesting situation. You know, it's sometimes better to be lucky than smart. And I'm not saying that members of Congress are not smart. They are. But they wanted to exclude Chinese stocks for political reasons. And, you know, I did not disagree. And it turns out that since that time, really, the Chinese market has not done well. I mean, certainly TSP participants did not lose out as a result. According to these statistics, if they'd been able to make the change to this new index five years ago, they would have been slightly better off, but not a big difference. But whether people want to switch a higher percentage of their assets into international, you know, I I answer that question for my clients all the time. But I don't want to do it just in general, because 
you know, it may be that international stocks in general don't do continue to lag U.S. stocks. And so if people go into more into the I fund, it might reduce the volatility of their overall portfolio, but it might also reduce the returns. So that's the decision that people either need to make themselves or they need to consult a professional to help them make. Another big topic for the TSP is the recent report on the TSP millionaires and the levels of those uh, that are you know, going on right now. I think it's been actually quite a big increase since the number of TSP millionaires for 2022. Uh, any insights into why, why that might be the case? Well, one very easy insight, Drew, is that the market went up. So one thing about TSP millionaires that I've noticed, and it's not unexpected, is the people that do better are the ones that had a higher percentage invested in the stock funds, the C and the S and the I fund and the bond funds. And they were the people that didn't pull out when the markets crashed. But the other thing that is just you cannot deny is the number of TSP millionaires is very much a function of how long people have been investing. It's just, that's the way investing is. You know, these are people didn't worry about the ups and downs of the markets. They just believe that stocks were outperformed and they've been working longer than the people who are not millionaires. And so they made good decisions, but then they've been investing for a long time. So then if that's the case, if you're speaking to a federal employee who might be, you know, 25, 30 years old, they're just at the start of their career, do you recommend just kind of sticking with it? Or what would you say they should do to try to eventually reach that TSP millionaire status? Historically, you've been much better off having a higher percentage in the stock funds, not pulling money out in anticipation of a market crash or because the market had crashed. When we get stock market crashes, that's a good time to be buying. And also, people can be more aggressive with their bi-weekly investments. You know, even if they don't want too much in stocks, it doesn't mean that their bi-weekly investments shouldn't be more heavily concentrated to go to the stock funds because they're just putting in a smaller amounts every two weeks. And if the market goes down, they're buying. So they kind of want the markets to go down. You need to have a long-term outlook. And even for people who are getting ready to retire, remember that you know you could retire at 65 and easily be alive at 95. People need to have a very long-term outlook on their retirement. And over 30 years, I don't know people don't expect stocks to outperform over a 30-year period compared to the bond funds. Great. Well, Art, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today, and thanks for, thanks for being here. Okay, Drew. Thank you for having me on. Certified financial planner Art Stein speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And that's it for this week's FedLife. We'll return next week with more of what you need to know to manage your career and your financial life. Until then, I'm Tom Temin. Thanks for listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.